0: Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, People Jesus Met Along the Way, the Disciples. We'll also have music from the Sanctuary Choir. So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab.
1: Our first scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses one through 15. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Cast out demons. Be received without payment. Give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet as you leave that town or home. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town.
2: John, thank you. Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel of Mark, the the 10th chapter beginning at the 35th verse. Again, let's listen to God's word to us. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word this day. And as we sit now beneath its teachings, we would pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of our hearts together might find acceptance in your sight. For it is you and you alone we desire to please, and this through Christ our Lord. Amen. We've been talking recently about people Jesus met along the way. We began first with John the Baptist, who was the first really to recognize Jesus and was commissioned to do ministry in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Last week, Terry preached a beautiful message on the relationship Jesus had with Mary and Martha, uh, perhaps Jesus' closest friends, along with their brother Lazarus. And today, we look at the disciples, a more motley, ragtag, we might even say ill-suited, band of brothers one could hardly imagine. Among the chosen twelve were two sets of brothers, Andrew and Simon, who we'll come to know as Peter, and James and John, all fishermen, which in and of itself tells us something about them. Being a fisherman in first-century Palestine was a very common trade. The villages in which they lived, primarily in the northwest and northern coasts of the Sea of Galilee. But being a fisherman suggests that they weren't necessarily the sharpest crayons in the box. The educational system of the day, now this is for little boys, mind you, was primarily instruction in the Jewish law. And that required a great deal of memorization. So along the way, those who couldn't quite keep up with this academic rigor simply dropped out and began picking up then other trades. Carpentry, masonry, fishing. Now, admittedly, this could have been their occupational desire all along. We know James and John were the sons of Zebedee, himself a fisherman. So perhaps they were intent simply in following in their father's footsteps. Or perhaps not. They seemed to be glad to drop their nets when this itinerant preacher named Jesus came along and said, Come, follow me. It's also safe to say that these guys were pretty rough and tumble. They most likely had the vocabulary that we might attribute to a longshoreman. We get some hint of that when we know that James and John were called sons of thunder. We see throughout the Gospels that another of the fishermen, Simon Peter, was an impulsive hothead who covered the spectrum, representing the heights of faith and the depths of denial. He was first in faith and first in failure. Recall in one particular conversation he had with Jesus, Jesus called him both the rock on which the church would be built and Satan. Matthew was a tax collector, which would be shorthand for traitor, turncoat, collaborator. A tax collector in first century Palestine was despised for their willingness to turn on their own people, to collect taxes from their own people in support of this oppressive Roman government and that most likely at an exorbitant profit. And then pair him up with Simon, often called Simon the Zealot, who was part of a sect of believers who were intent on overthrowing the Roman government by any means possible. You think your dinner conversations with your family and friends are tougher on political issues. I mean, liken this to being a Marxist guerrilla fighter paired with a member of the John Birch Society. (laughs) Add to these the names of Judas, who in the Gospels is given the moniker, the betrayer. And then six more lesser known characters, each with their own stories and backgrounds to share. Who were these guys? And didn't anyone bother to do a background check on them? I found an apocryphal letter written to Jesus from the Jordan Management Consultant Agency. It reads, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and have been interviewed by our psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultant. The profile of all of the tests are included and you will want to examine each of them carefully. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept, managerial ability, or proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine corporate morale. Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon definitely each have radical leanings and have registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. (laughs) One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of great ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your comptroller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Who chose this unlikely band of followers? Jesus did, and that should give us some good comfort that he also chooses the likes of you and me today. Nadia Bowles Weber, in her book, Accidental Saints, Finding God in All the Wrong People, writes, Never once did Jesus scan the room for the best example of holy living and send that person out to tell others about him. He always sent out stumblers and sinners. I find that comforting, she says. Bear in mind, the despised tax collector, Matthew, became the church's primary evangelist through the gospel, he wrote. And the Twelve eventually shared the gospel message that has now reached our ears today. So why did Jesus choose these guys rather than a more cohesive collective of more like-minded, even-keeled, well-heeled individuals? Apparently, he had his reasons perhaps one of which being he wanted all the voices at the table to hear his message, to learn his ways, because in the end he knew that he was going to need all of those different faces and voices and experiences to share their message and carry on his mission. I believe that is as true today as it was then In short, we don't all need to agree with one another. We all need to agree with Jesus. One of the reasons we're looking at the people Jesus met along the way is to see how he related to them and they to him. But I would also suggest that perhaps we can see ways that we might better relate with one another. We have a human tendency today, even in the church, to do exactly the opposite of what Jesus does here when it comes to those with whom we choose to associate ourselves and I'm greatly concerned that it's getting worse for us and not better. In our culture today including the church culture and I'm saying this in in the largest capacity we've taken a posture of separating ourselves from those with whom we disagree We have increasingly adopted a a position of us and them. And so we surround ourselves with those with whom we agree. By what we read, by what we listen to, by what we nod our heads in agreement with. And so we tend to close ourselves off from those with whom we disagree, or who have positions different than our own. And as a result, we find ourselves talking only with ourselves, listening only to others who agree with what we already agree on. There's an inherent problem with that with that way of thinking, with that way of being. As we parse our positions more and more carefully, we suddenly find ourselves kind of like the man who was stranded on a desert island for decades. When he was finally rescued, he showed his rescuers what he had done in his free time. He pointed out the hut that he had built and the recreation area he had constructed and his own church. One of them, seeing another unmentioned structure, ask about its use. And the man said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) It's kind of like the guy who built a church in his own backyard that seats only one. Friends, I can guarantee you this. You are sitting next to or near someone with whom you disagree. Now, perhaps you're not aware of that yet, but one day you will be. And at that moment, you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do about that. And most simply, I think we're given two options. It's either stay or go, accept or reject, isolate or come together. Now, the predominant voice in our culture, and increasingly more in church culture, is to separate ourselves, reorganize ourselves with other like-minded individuals. And it is my strongly held belief that that response will eventually lead to our demise. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all need to agree with one another, because we do not and we will not. But I am suggesting that the foundational Presbyterian principle that persons of good character and principle may differ is more essential for us to embrace and put into practice now than perhaps it ever has been before in our history. Candidly, our ability, our willingness to live into and out of that principle is one of the things I most love and cherish about this church body. Did those first century disciples have their disagreements? You bet they did. So how did Jesus respond to them? He called them. He welcomed them. He embraced them. He discipled them. He disciplined them. And eventually, he sent them out to be his witnesses and ambassadors. In our second gospel lesson, we hear the story of James and John coming alongside Jesus and they had the audacity to ask him to allow them to be seated at his right hand and at his left hand in a place of honor in the kingdom of God. And Jesus bluntly told them, you have no idea what you're asking. Which makes me wonder how often I or perhaps we do the same with him. And when they caught wind of it, the other disciples are absolutely furious. Why? Well, perhaps it's because of the brother's audacity in asking. Or perhaps it's out of frustration because they too were positioning themselves to ask something very similar of him for themselves. Either way, Jesus took that opportunity to set them straight as to the call and the demands of discipleship. You see, they were mistakenly thinking that discipleship meant the pathway to power and prestige, Not so, says Jesus. That's the way of the world. But it is not so among you. Rather, he counters with the values of his upside-down kingdom, saying, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus was defining what it means to be one of his disciples, then and now. A disciple is one who has firmly decided to learn from Jesus how to live his or her life. One who has committed themselves to be a follower, an apprentice of his, learning his way of doing things, quite literally of becoming like Jesus in every way imaginable, including the way we relate to one another. As another put it, faithfulness in following Jesus may be defined as progressively closing the gap between who we really are and who Jesus really is. Oh, we know all about how to live like us. The reason we come here is because we want to be like Jesus. So why did Jesus gather this ragtag team of his closest friends and followers? Because he knew that together, they represented life as it really is. Not an ideal, but its reality. Because he knew that their voices, in all of their diversity and disagreement, would be needed to share his gospel message with the world. And I believe he has called us together for the very same reasons. Given the different socioeconomic backgrounds and political persuasions, what is it that held them together? I assure you, it was not their shared agreement on the pressing issues of the day. It was their common commitment to Jesus. By uniting them to himself, he was uniting them to one another. And I believe, again, the same is true for us. Rather than each of us or a small group of us getting up going out into our own corners, I believe the church today must continue to be instructed by the juxtaposition of both collaborators and freedom fighters who believe that Jesus is still able, by his word and by his presence, to overcome any of the seemingly insurmountable issues which may tear us apart And so bind us together as unified companies of believers called the church. You see, the one who unites us is greater than anything that could ever divide us unless we choose to allow those issues to divide us. The decision is ours to make. It's always ours. The church is not designed to satisfy each of our individual wants or needs. But it, it is united to gather us together to be shaped and formed by Jesus himself into the image of Christ because there is a work that we've been given to do. And that is to carry the gospel message to the ends of the earth. There's another apocryphal story about Jesus returning to heaven after the resurrection. The angels surrounded him and asked him about the plans he had put in place to continue his ministry and share the good news. A mass marketing campaign or a worldwide broadcast. No, said Jesus, I've chosen 12 very common men to go out and tell the world about me and one of them has already betrayed me. The angels were dumbstruck. They didn't know what to say, so they sat in silence until one of them finally asked, aren't there any other plans? I mean, what if they fail? And Jesus replied, if they fail, then all will be lost. Friends, Jesus chose 12 very common, very different, highly unlikely and ill-suited to be his closest friends and followers. And I believe he does the same still today. He poured himself into them, teaching them, training them, receiving them, sending them, just as he does today as by the ministry of his Holy Spirit. Were they perfect? Hardly. Most of the time they had no idea what he was doing or what he was saying or why. Very much like you and me, I dare say. Yet despite all of that, he entrusted them with the message of salvation and sent them out to share it with others, one by one, each in their own way, until the whole world would hear this good news. And he's called us to do the same. He continues to call us, very common, very different, highly unlikely, perhaps even ill-suited, to the same task Each of us using our own lives, our own voices, our own experiences to point others to him. Not looking for converts to our way of thinking, but to him and to his. And what holds us together despite all of our differences and disagreements? It is our common commitment and devotion to him. By inviting us to himself, Jesus unites us with one another. And for that, I am exceedingly thankful. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let us pray. (laughs) Lord, we thank you that you have uh, called us to be one of yours. You've given us your name and called us to live in your name. And so help us to be shaped and formed into you, such that we might show you to the world, a world that desperately needs you. Lord, hear our prayer this day, spoken together and in the silence of our hearts, for we offer it in Jesus' name. Lord, hear our prayer.
0: You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the TAB podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabprez.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, we're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel and at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live-streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. What is the kingdom of God? Pastor John Gable of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis.
2: In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers a rather curious listing of those who enter the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the pure in heart, the peacemakers and the persecuted, among others. It's an unexpected list that includes those the world often classifies as rejects and outcasts. It is this countercultural Jesus that we seek to follow at TAB, whose message runs counter to our culture of self-centeredness and self-absorption. How do we follow this Jesus at TAB? Come find out for yourself by joining us in worship or visiting us online at tabprez.org. Tabernacle
0: Presbyterian Church, 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis invites you to worship Sunday morning at 8 or 10 a.m. If you can't make it in person, tune in to Sunday with Tab, Sunday mornings at 6.30 on WIBC or find us online
3: at tabpres.org.